We depend largely on the public to help us solve crime. On May 10, 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 went missing in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. In season three of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, Boots on the Ground, we discover new information and details into the boys' disappearance. These are boys, little boys. You don't know what happened. You should try to find out what happened. Nothing should deter you from that. So, yeah, it angers me a little bit. When the deputy mentions these trees would have been here 51 years ago, that's when I immediately knew who we were looking for. Join us as we journey into Hannibal's biggest mystery to find the truth about what happened to Billy, Joey, and Craig. Welcome back to the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast. This is your host, Frankie, and with me as always... Chris Ketters. Chris, how you doing today? Man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sore. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure why, but there might be some, some reasoning behind that, maybe. There's been a lot of work that's been done um, over the last couple of weeks, and I think this was a, a week to kind of rest up and get back to normal a little bit after all the work that we've both been doing. Me on the true crime path and you on the caving path. Yeah, it's uh, been a lot of uh, work. And uh, again, we want to apologize because we haven't had really a chance to keep you guys updated. There's, you know, one of the things I've said, Frankie, is, and I, I think this is going to be the trend line for 2021. And probably the word we're going to use the most is fluid because everything is very fluid in what we've been doing this year so far and things change rapidly and as we'll talk about coming up i'm sure in a few minutes here it's uh, you can tell what has been happening has been very fluid so that's why i think uh, you know we're going to talk about how again it's we're a little bit late get this episode out and part of the reason is because things change so rapidly and, and there's a lot going on yeah and speaking of that candace actually had a couple sick kids so she will not be joining us for this episode, and we do apologize for that, but she will rejoin us uh, when the kids are feeling good. So we definitely have episodes with Candace, and this actually gives her um, enough time to kind of sink in with this episode because this episode really explores uh, a, a point with our research that it's time to come to the public. It's time to ask you guys questions, and we're talking to our older generation too. So it's a really cool time to be on with boots in the ground in Hannibal as my suspect list dwindles. We can say that 
the John Wayne Gacy theory is completely gone. He doesn't have a leg to stand on. I know that a lot of you have been following uh, a couple of the different shows that are on TV, like Relentless. And for us, we had an author that wrote a book that in our first season, we really liked. We never said a bad word about his person or his book, that it was a good cliff note to the 1967 May 10th Missing Boys. But our research really came from the Karras and Yoakum reports. As you can see, we've dived deeper than his original book ever did, and we continue to pursue all leads. And one of those leads came from a second book by the name of Soul Speak, which we have not said a lot about. But I will say this, our documentary is going to be one of those documentaries that not only has wow factor, but it will show you how me and Chris have worked with law enforcement, how me and Chris have worked with state agencies like MoDOT to ensure a quality film that relies solely on facts, not assumptions. Assumptions are death in journalism. They used to be. Today, we play narratives. Today, we do films that attract a sensationalism. The Lost Boys of Hannibal is an important story to me and Chris, not because we're invested or making money or profiting off them, but because we truly love the Hoke family. We truly love our relationship we've built with them over this past year. But also, the people and the town of Hannibal, which is a magical town in America, Sure, it has its problems. Sure, it has its meth issues. Sure, it has dangerous people. But for a documentary like Relentless to come out and condemn an entire family name like the Whitaker or the Ledbetters is not a terrible injustice on them, their family, their children, and their kin from across all states. Every family member in my family was not perfect. But I do not want to be judged for the sins of my past, nor do I want to be judged by the sins of other fa family members that I have no association with. It is a blatant, disrespectful film that centers its entire focus on a would-be hack filmmaker that makes it all about herself. And that's what this film is not going to do. Our film is strictly about the Lost Boys of Hannibal and how we can find resolution. And we have had to deal with so much of the rumor mills that surrounded us when we were doing our own research, working with local law enforcement. And I can boldly and clearly state that John Wingate's book, Soul Speak, is a work of fiction. I have reached out to him on multiple channels to try to get a comment from him. I have proof and I have evidence. And in our documentary, you will see all of this. You will see it all. Boots on the Ground is not just a thematic for this year. It is an actual, factual thing that me and Chris are doing day in and day out with the Hogue family and with, once again, local law enforcement. I don't know where this documentary gets off talking down to cops and open investigations, but I will tell you one thing about law enforcement. If it's an open case, they cannot reveal anything to civilians because it endangers them, it endangers the family, and it, dangers, it endangers people that are assumed guilty but have no proof. We have and we live in a country of presumed innocence. And although we may not agree with criminal defense attorneys, 
Their job is not to personally defend somebody. Their job is to defend a person's rights. And until a documentary can prove that a Ledbetter or a Whitaker was responsible for their missing kin, they have no right under our laws and in our Constitution to blame anyone. That is a serious violation of libel, and I hope they are sued to the high heavens. And that is all I am saying about that. It's a lot to say, Frankie. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot to to, to involve with and, and think about there. And, and this relentless show that's been going on has really stirred things up in the Hannibal area for sure. And it's it's made it hard for us to do our job. We at one point will have to reach out to Hannibal police. We at one point might have to reach out to the sheriff of Marion County. And it makes our job and our lives that much more miserable. And it puts us further and further away from actually solving what happened with the boys. Like I said, our true crime path is a loose path. It is not guaranteed that this was a true crime. It's not guaranteed they were lost in a cave. Nothing's guaranteed because it's a mystery. That's what makes it a mystery. But I don't believe that me and Chris have ever given you guys assumptions that we've concluded on. We've given you mere facts and we have percentages of possibilities of maybe somebody might be involved. But I will tell you this, in today's episode, this is my prime suspect, that if there was a true crime path, this is the person that we look to you for help. And with that, Chris, I give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we, uh, before we jump into that, there was one other thing I do want to mention. You, and you brought it up just a minute ago, but talking about uh, MoDOT, the Missouri Department of Transportation, we've been uh, very fortunate to uh, have created a great relationship with them in the recent weeks. And uh, we have some pretty exciting stuff that we'll be telling you about down the road, but it's, uh, it's really opened up past. And I think that says a lot to what you were just saying, Frankie, is that there was, there's this divide and it's really odd how some documentaries are there to, to discounts and disprove and, and make the law enforcement community and even you know state agencies in general out to be the bad guys and boy our, my experience i've never done stuff like this before frankie and from my experience i have not had anything like that at all happen i i get phone calls consistently on a daily basis from different agencies that want to be part of the the search and want to be part of helping out and trying to find these three boys. And they're going out of their way. This is not part of their job duties. This isn't part of what uh, they're responsible for doing, especially in the MoDOT world. They're responsible for making sure the highways are good. This, this is not part of what they're responsible for doing, but they are wanting to be a part of, of searching and part of trying to find out where these boys are at. And they're one of the best agencies for us to be uh, connected with and talking to and uh, it's great to have those resources and um, I tell you Frankie I, I literally have about 50 sheets of paper to my right here the really big sheets of paper but they even gave me stuff like the uh, all the plans from 1967 in highway 79 we now have all those plans because MoDOT officials took the time to go through all the old archives and finally pick those things out they, they spent days looking for them and finally found stuff like that so it just goes to show I'm, I'm not trying to we'll move on in a second here but it just goes to show that there's a lot of love and a lot of support from different agencies and law enforcement as well out there in the world that want to do good and, and yeah. make right and especially for the families of the Hoags and the Dows. Yeah, and there's incredible families that live throughout Hannibal that have helped us, that they hate hearing 
about how terrible their town that they grew up in is being viewed by a network show. Uh, even bigger than that, though, is is that relationship that we're building with people on the ground there. And they may not all agree that our that our ways of going about things may have, you know, hurt people into thinking that we want all the credit, that we want to do all this ourselves. And I've heard this. And it's burnt some bridges with people in town. But that's just not the truth. If you know me and Chris, then you know that this is not about me and him hoisting a trophy saying we found them. This this That was never about what we were doing. It was never about hoisting a trophy and saying, we did it, we did it, we did it. All before us was wrong. It's not about proving anybody wrong. It's trying to bring closure, not only to a family, but to a community, a community that truly loves itself and its people. And within that, um, I would say that everybody that, I think we have a responsibility to the dead and the missing, that if we're alive and we're able, we should help. We should help families out. Because that shows the human element, and that's what we've tried to display. So, yeah, maybe we're not for everyone, but that's fine. What we're trying to do is really lay that foundation. And having this stuff that we have only furthers this search and how long it'll go. I don't know. But like we've, me and Chris have said numerous times, whoever comes after us, <laughs> they have a nice stretch of land to go through. <laughs> yeah, well, and and on that note, Frankie, you know, I one of there's there, you saw the, if you guys are on Facebook, you saw the video I did a week or two ago in Hannibal, and so we spent a lot of time in Hannibal recently. I was making the joke to to my wife earlier. I think I spent more time in Hannibal in the last few weeks than I have in my own house. Uh, so if that tells you anything. But you know, one of the things, and I don't want to be too. Um, suspicious in this or secretive in what I'm saying but you know we've had to make some hard decisions Frankie and I uh, that decisions that not everybody has enjoyed and, and as time goes by especially once the documentary comes along you're gonna be able to see what exactly those decisions were but it we've always gone with the basis that we wanted to make sure that we were first of all doing the right thing but more importantly that the people that are involved were being safe and that there wasn't any questions that if somebody got hurt uh, we didn't want to have that in our conscience that uh, that would be something we were aware of and we could have prevented and we didn't so we've always taken the road that we want to make sure that everybody that's doing things are doing it in the safe and proper manner and going around about the right ways of dealing with uh, certain people or certain landowners or certain situations where things are being uh, done the correct way. So that's, uh, again, it's going to be, there's a lot of background information and a lot of things that you're going to find out in the, in the months and uh, maybe years or to come about what we've been doing. And, and I don't want to be too secretive about that, Frankie, but I, I think it goes into a lot about uh, how much has been happening in the last uh, few months in Hannibal. It's not at the point where I want to say that we're being secretive to to hide stuff from you. We don't. We don't want to hide anything from you. At the same time, it goes back to my opening monologue, is it's safety. It's safety for the companies that are involved. It's safety for the law enforcement and officers that are involved. It's safety for the families that are involved, right? So we can't really go into a lot of detail on the stuff we've been doing, but we will let you know, you will see me and Chris in Hannibal a lot. And <laughs> always feel free to stop by and say hi. 
um, when we're around town. I mean, we hang out a lot at the coffee place. Um, We'd love a free coffee at Java Jive. If you're there, you yes. see us. Just uh, the, the raspberry, mocha, whatever they have is excellent. We're happy to accept that. Yes, that, that Denise Hogue turned you on <laughs> yes, to. Yes, exactly. And I will make one correction, too. Um, Candace's last name is not Hogue. I do not give out her real name. She is a Hogue by her mom's side. But I don't give out her real name because of her protection. So a lot of times people are like, well, that's not her. We know that. <laughs> but I don't want to exploit people and their families either. That's not what this is about. So a lot of times you may think we're getting things wrong, but we have a strategic message for it. Well, Frankie, uh, I think uh, we're ready to head into the deep dive of what is coming up in this episode. Are you ready to get into it? Absolutely. So let's dig into this episode where we're going to talk about a gentleman where he came up in the newspaper stories right after the boys went missing. And we see our first newspaper article about him coming up on May 15th. And I'm going to read this article real quick, Frankie. It says a Missouri state employee skilled in tracking was brought into search today. Terry Hill of the Missouri Department of Corrections was called in from Moberly to join the party's search in the wooded areas. So that's our first little piece of the puzzle there. And then the second piece actually comes from the Moberly Monitor of all places. We just found this newspaper article. I've never mentioned this one before, but it goes into specifically with the newspaper title says Moberly expert tracker joins search for youth. And it goes into Terry Hill of Missouri training center for men was called in from Moberly to join parties pushing an above ground search. Hill will try to find a footprint or other clues. Hill 26 is a guard for the training center joining the force after working the state penitentiary for about six months. Hill has been active in the boy scouts work in Moberly. So that uh, clues you into a couple other things that we're going to be diving into in a few minutes. And then the final article goes to May 7th back to the Hannibal Courier Post. We've mentioned this article before, but I'm going to go ahead and reread it to you because there's a lot of intriguing pieces of the puzzle in this newspaper article. It says, it was believed that someone was trying to disrupt the search when Terry Hill, a tracker from the Institute of Corrections at Moberly, found tracks near the cave south of Lover's Leap Cut. The tracks, Kara said, had appeared where various hot clues had been reported. Harrison, his assistant, Conway Christensen, investigated the scene where the tracks were found and during the search had rocks hurled at them by some unknown person. Karras said that he could only see the legs of the person running through the brush. They pursued the person for a short distance, but he managed to elude them in the darkness. After the incident was re released, several persons mentioned kidnapping as a reason for the boy's disappearance. So we know, and we've always speculated and believed that this guy throwing the rocks was none other than our uh, Ray Ferrier gentleman. But this is connecting also to Terry Hill also being in that location during that same time period. So Frankie, those are our newspaper articles that we've had about Thomas Terry Hill. Yep. And he is the picturesque person to bring in to this fight, right? We want people from a, a local group that's coming into track and it's another avenue where we had uh, Spelunkers and Spielological scientists down there looking for the boys in 1967, over 200 of them going in and out. We had a ground search that was underway. And for the longest time, we believe that ground search was done by uh, the, the police department along with the National Guard. And when they brought in uh, this Moberly expert, somebody must have known who uh, Tommy was, Tommy Terrence Hill or Tommy Terry Hill or Thomas Terry Hill. So when you're looking for this guy, there's a bunch of different 
avenues that that we've had success with. And Jackie Myrick, our um, our good friend and lead researcher, is always giving us some new information regarding him. And as I sit in Virginia, North Carolina right now, I'll be actually hanging out with Jackie soon. Um, so we'll have a nice uh, cognac over uh, some of the stuff that we're going <laughs> to divulge in with you today. And and I think, Chris, it is important to remember that, you know, the reason why we're saying his name out loud is because we're at that point, right? At that point, and plus, this has been a gentleman that has been recognized in the newspapers. And secondly, as we'll talk about uh, shortly, has also been, uh, we acknowledge that from the family members that they are aware of his situation and why he is a part of the of this uh, discussion at this point in time. So speaking of that research, though, we got to, again, thank uh, Jackie. He did a bulk of this research and finding this information. We wanted to go through some of the background information and what we found in our research about this gentleman before uh, we talk about the family members. Uh, we do know that he was born February 6th of 1941. He attended college at Moberly Junior College. Uh, there is an article that states that he actually graduated from a, quote, lower division of Moberly Junior College. I'm not sure exactly what that means because we found later that he also had a four year bachelor's degree from Hannibal LaGrange College. So he was in Hannibal. He graduated from there in 1963. We also found another newspaper article that said he was a freshman at HLG in 1959. So that's uh, how we figured out he was also a four-year student at Hannibal LaGrange College. And uh, we talk about, well, how what did he get his uh, degree in? Well, from our understanding, he graduated with a bachelor's degree in Baptist ministry. So that gives you a little bit of background of Hill college timeline. Frankie, there's another issue about this is about the military thing. We've come Air across yeah. yeah, we've come across multiple things saying that uh, he had a military background experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something I want to talk to you about because he received his military training as you just mentioned with the US Air Force and that's according to his wedding announcement that we found. But if you look at the timeline, he got married, we'll talk about a little bit later on, he got married in the late 60s, uh, actually it was about the mid 60s, and the timeline's questionable here because I got to thinking like, okay, so he graduated in 63, and then we find out in a few minutes here that he his work career started in 1965, we believe. There's not a whole lot of time in there for him to be having two years of experience in the military. Uh, I did have to look because I, you know, you hear about in history class, that was a long time ago, but I looked into the Vietnam War because you're, you're thinking yeah. Vietnam War time frame there. And I was exactly. like, well, what's the chances if he got drafted coming out of college? That wouldn't be possible nope. because the first draft was in 69. And only Marines were drafted. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, so, and then of course, just to, to refer with the Vietnam War in general, the first troops were sent to Vietnam in 1965. And as we'll later find out, as I just mentioned, his first job was in 1965. So, you have any speculation? No, I'm or sorry. I'm sorry. That's, that's wrong. The Marines joined and the Army was the one that drafted. The Army drafted, drafted you. The Marines were, people went into the Marines mostly because their family was in World War II and they wanted to be patriotic as well. So the Army did draft. The Air Force, I don't know drafts, but I know the Air Force had an Air Guard. It could have been a situation where he was in the Air Guard, but it is the height of the Vietnam War, right? Vietnam mm -hmm. War starts loosely around 1959. So you, when you look at it, that aspect, I was thinking that too. I'm like, it's amazing that he was Air Force and he didn't get 
uh, called to Vietnam. So yeah. it might have been that he had a college degree, he was married, uh, he was the only son. There might have been something like that where he yeah. didn't go to Vietnam. I also checked real quick because I was thinking, well, military experience, military training without being in the military, I was thinking maybe like an ROTC sort of situation. Possible. But I did look and Hannibal LaGrange did not have an ROTC program. So that eliminates that possibility that it was an ROTC thing. Maybe it was reserves. I mean, that's probably the only possibility. That I could. And you said, does, and I'm real bad about military background stuff, the Air Force have reserves? They do. They do. They have the Air Guard. I mean, I believe... Uh, President George W. Bush, the second was an air guard. Okay. Oh yeah, you're right. Right. You're yeah. right. So. so maybe that's the outline of how he he has his military training experience. But we've never so far been able to really knock down a, a specific of of that background. We can request Frankie. I will throw this out to you, and maybe we'll just go ahead and if ja when Jackie listens, Jackie put this as a note <laughs> that you can request uh, records from military. Uh, service records from the uh, United States government. So it is possible to do that uh, without having to be a next of kin. So uh, we have to look into that and we'll hopefully we'll get back to you in a future episode about that. But we talked about the bachelor's degree in Baptist ministry and that came into play pretty quick. And actually, Frankie, I mentioned 65 for the work history. He actually became an ordained Baptist minister at the Carpenter Street Baptist Church in Moberly in 1963. So right after he graduated from um, college and Hannibal LaGrange, he went and became an ordained Baptist minister. And Frankie, I'm not real familiar with the Baptist ways. Uh, can, do you have any background in that? Well, Baptist, there's different sects of Baptists, like there's different sects of Catholics. Uh, most Baptist ministers can be married. Um, a lot of them have uh, very strict an outline. Uh, a lot of them don't drink. Um, a lot of them don't dance. So there is stricter outlines of that. Usually, if you're a minister, you're not, you're kind of, I believe you have certain ministries you do. Youth ministry, uh, the Boy Scouts could be one while he was a scoutmaster. Um, so you get into that as well. You can have different types of ministries. Um, w without having uh, too much knowledge on, on, on Baptist ministers. I mean, I used to, char char used to follow a couple of them, because they're very good preachers in Baptist, if you want the Word of God. So I don't know too much about the specifics, but if he did go to school for it, then he learned basically all his—I'm um, not too familiar with the school. I guess the school is, is, is Baptist. Yes, then. yes, yeah. yes. So, you know, there's Baptist hospitals as well, where they follow the religion. So there's certain things you can't do in Baptist hospitals. Like I believe that if a, if a, if a mother is in trauma, um, it's either her or the baby. They choose the baby. So it's stuff like that. So I don't really know too much about the specifics of it. But, I mean, that is a passion if you went to force four years to be a minister. And, and, and right now his report card looks amazing. This is a guy that is a patriot. This is a guy that is a, a smart college religious religious he has just everything going for him and and as the as the articles in the newspaper outline you know he becomes this person that's kind of picturesque this is a picturesque person that if he's your son you're pretty proud of him and so that is kind of where it really starts to get sticky I was just getting ready to say, you know, there was another gentleman that you mentioned just a few minutes ago that was also a picturesque person back That's in right. the day. John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> he was loved. He was loved. He was a great character. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So we have a few more things to talk about with uh, him here, and we'll talk about his work history. You mentioned again, it looks like his first job out of college was a meter reader for the city of Moberly back in 1965. And by the way, if you're not from this area, Moberly, Missouri is about an hour away from Hannibal, uh, not too far away. It's actually a jaunt down 36 and down 24, and then you're mm-hmm. down to, to Moberly. So not too far away from Hannibal. It's a pretty easy drive uh, to get between the two cities. Uh, shortly after his marriage, he switched over and began working for the Missouri Department of Corrections. As we mentioned, it looks like he first worked as a guard for at the Missouri State Penitentiary. Then he kind of moved over to this training center and became a... Uh, what they were saying in some articles was he was actually a person that if there was escaped convicts from the Missouri State Pen, he was the person that was the tracker, the professional tracker that was in charge of trying to track down where those uh, escaped convicts went. So that was his job, and, and we'll find out a little bit later that we, we can still see some proof that he was still doing that after the fact. Mm-hmm. We want to switch over real quick. He did get married in 1966. Her name was Nancy Erlene Saladin, S-A-L-A-D-I-N, and and uh, unfortunately, that marriage didn't last very long, only four years. They divorced in 1970, and then Nancy remarried in 1973. So, Frankie, we're in the whole, this looks like the picturesque gentleman, as you mentioned. Then things a little bit uh, get a little change. Yeah, topsy-turvy. Um, he is a scoutmaster, and this week in my research, trying to follow this path uh, with Tommy Terrence. Um, or Tommy Terry. Everybody says it on the team different. TTH. Um, you know, even our, and just so you guys know too, is a side note, as, a, as an aside here, uh, we are working with the mediums as well. So there, there's another path there. We'll have a whole show dedicated to all the paths the Lost Boys of Hannibal are following. And, you know, when you look at those paths, it, it's pretty interesting. So with Tommy Terrence Hill, he is a scoutmaster. And so part of my research this week was to reach out to the BSA, Boy Scouts of America, who unfortunately is undergoing a bankruptcy. They are in filing for Chapter 11. I don't know if you guys have heard the news uh, about this organization. It is pretty sad. Uh, It's sad in the aspect of uh, they did do a lot of good. Unfortunately, people fell through the cracks and a lot of certain pedophiles did join the ranks. Uh, when you hear the word scoutmaster, in most cases, I did not know this, but I know it now, scoutmasters don't necessarily have to be an Eagle Scout. And I did never knew that. I always thought that if you were going to hmm. lead a troop, you had to be an Eagle Scout, but you don't have to. In fact, a lot of Eagle Scouts masters, uh, a lot of scoutmasters are parents. They have children that are in it. Makes sense. They want right. to be a part of it. Yeah. Exactly. And so they go through the ropes together. When I was talking to the Boy Scout, um, Tommy was part of Troop 19, which sits right outside, about 13 minutes outside of Moberly in Huntsville. That's where Troop 19 is, was, and is still today. Troop 19 was kind of given a um, refinish and, and a total regentrification. There's a new troop there, there's a new troop master, and the guy that's in charge of it, I have a Hopefully, have a call from him next week coming in. He's going to get me more information. But he he liked the history of Troop 19. Troop 19 has a colorful history. Uh, there's some terrible things that happened. And there's some great things that happened with the troop. And I believe the troop right now is really trying to rectify a lot of the wrongs and do what the scouts were always doing since 1907 in America was to 
you know, uniform boys to be responsible and have good nature hikes and, and learn about the ways of being a good Eagle Scout. Uh, Tommy Terrence Hill was never an Eagle Scout, as I've mentioned before. He was a Scoutmaster and stayed active in the Scouts um, through his lifetime. When I called Boy Scouts of America, which is re- resides in Texas, um, they didn't have a record of Tommy ever being an Eagle Scout, which he thought was a little bit odd, too, in the conversation. Uh, usually you would have a child, and it is kind of raises an eyebrow that he was a scoutmaster of boys without a child. So it's something that, that we started looking at. But when you look at that picturesque view that Chris kind of just went over, you don't think anything of it. Well, as time went on, we started learning more and more about Tommy Terrence Hill. Let's before we jump into that stuff, I do since we're on the Boy Scout thing, I do want to get some numbers out real quick since since we're talking about Perfect. that. Uh, he was he was uh, it was mentioned in the Quincy Herald Wig, so the Quincy Quincy Illinois is just right across the river from Hannibal, about twenty minutes away. It was mentioned in the Herald Wig that he was involved with the Trinity Cub Scout Pack in Hannibal. This is Thomas Terry Hill. He was involved with the Trinity Cub Scout Pack in Hannibal while he was at HLG in the early 60s. So that's one piece of the puzzle. You mentioned Troop 19, uh, as you mentioned, based around the Moberly area. In 1966, there's an article that says that uh, Troop 19 was reorganized and kind of re-amped up. And the leader of that reamp was Terry Hill being the first scoutmaster during this reorganization. A couple other things. Numerous articles say that Hill was still a scoutmaster into the early 70s. And then as you kind of alluded to, we've even had some some beliefs that even as early as the late 90s, uh, he was still involved as uh, with the with the Boy Scouts. So he's had a very long timeline with the Boy Scouts. So just wanted to add some of those things before we get to the next piece of the puzzle. And is there anything, Frankie, before I jump to that next piece? No, I mean, like I said, uh, like we do with all things, we treat it with kit gloves, and we're not assuming anything. This is not directed at the Boy Scouts of America at all. This has nothing to do with them. Uh, Sometimes the criminal element finds its way inside amazing organizations like the Boy Scouts of America, who I've always wished I could have been a Boy Scout. My parents just didn't have the money or the time. But we have no ill will toward the Boy Scouts. They've been nothing once again, Chris. This is what these documentaries on TV, they try to really punish everyone, right? Because everybody's corrupt and everything's a conspiracy and everything's a cover-up was not the case. Boy Scouts of America have been nothing but help. Um, During their process right now, we have to go through their lawyers to get anything because there are so many indictments. So, But still, even with all that, they've been as most helpful. They gave us all the numbers for the local. Local guys actually sit right in Columbia, Missouri. So I talked to him. John was a great guy, gave me his must information, was excited that we were doing something for the Lost Boys. And they've been nothing but help for us. This is nothing. This does not implicate the Boy Scouts of America at all. Yeah. I want to be clear on that. Yeah, for sure. Because Jack, so, Jackie's an Eagle Scout. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. So there's some issues. So now we're going to jump to a part that we, we, we're we jumping to it because this is really the next piece of the puzzle for us right now. And that's where, as Frankie mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this is where we're going to need your help because we need to figure out how this gentleman got to this position. 
And here's how it happened. So we know that he moved around, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, that he moved around a lot in the 80s and 90s, but he ended up becoming a uh, resident of Monroe County, Missouri in the early 2000s. And during the early 2000s, Hill was picked up on a charge in Monroe County, Missouri. We don't we can't say exactly what the charge is. We do not know exactly what the charge is. We assume it may be on child molestation, but we do not know that for a fact. However, he was extradited because the state of Texas had a warrant for his arrest. He was sent back to Texas on the extradition, and he was put up on charges of child molestation. He was found guilty of those charges, and he served a 15-year sentence excuse me, with the Texas State Penitentiary at Huntsville. And then the last record that uh, Frankie was able to find on this was that he was incarcerated till his death on October 15th of 2013. And what's really strange about this is that his Troop 19 was in Huntsville, Missouri. And he's incarcerated in Huntsville, huh, Texas. Ironic. Yeah, just the irony is like within it. And then some people don't believe that's irony, but you should read the little book on irony. There are different ways of what irony is. So I, don't get me wrong. I read all your comments, but there, there you go. Um, so, so ideally, uh, what happens here in Monroe City? There was a time, and I want to bring this up too for my Wagner people out there. There's a, there's a great. I believe they're starting a podcast. I have not talked to them officially. But the Monroe City, the Monroe City kid that went missing in 1968, okay, was Wagner. At the time, Tommy Terrence Hill was doing a lot of work in Paris, Missouri, which sits about 23 minutes outside of Monroe City. So, once again, we can put him in 1967 in Hannibal. I can put him in Monroe City, Paris, Missouri, in 1968 when four boys are now missing and have never been found. So this was a person that was uh, was trained in tracking, was trained in um, correction and CO officers, was trained in ministry, was trained in the Boy Scouts of America. So what do you have there? You have a person that's very welcoming. You have a person that's very charming. You have a person that can talk and has led boys those ages. You have a person that can get inside the mentality of a child at that age for all the work he's done. And was he grooming himself for something more? Was he grooming himself as a way to, you know, he's kidnapped these kids in Texas, molested them. And this actually, Chris will get into it on how that all comes to pass. But this is somebody that you just don't start molesting kids at a certain age. We've had, you know, psychologists, criminal psychologists tell us that. This is something that comes even at the, the youngest of their youths. So I just want you to keep that in mind. I'm not saying that Tommy Terrence Hill is responsible for all four missing boys. What I am saying is that you were going to paint a picture of someone that was in the area that had these types of crimes. This is the person that I would paint right now until more information comes out on a Ray Farrier, on Ray Hatcher, and other things. So, Chris. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of notes I want to throw before we get to how this all really got us kicked off and going. And just a couple things. His parents owned a drive-in restaurant in Moberly. We know it started around 1972 when they purchased the building. They owned it till at least 1974, maybe a little bit later on. There was also a newspaper article we came across in 1972 that says he was reported, and this is uh, Terry Hill, was involved with a car accident in Jefferson City, Missouri. There was no reports 
of injuries during the accident. However, the article did state that he was living at the bachelor officer's quarters at the Missouri State Penitentiary. So we know as far as 1972 that he was still working for the Missouri Department of Corrections during that time. But frankly, we move on because all this stuff really wouldn't be where we're at today. And this gentleman would not be on, gentleman's not even probably a right word to use. This person would not be on our list right now if it wasn't due to what happened in September of 2020. And in September of 2020, we received just a random message. And the message on Facebook, it was a private message, and it says, have you ever come across the name Thomas Terry Hill in an article of suspects or other possible rabbit holes? (laughs) <laughs> so Frankie being the uh, jump starter that you are and making sure that you get on there <laughs> as soon as possible within a few minutes replies back can you explain more about him this ring, this name does not ring a bell and the reason that Frankie says this is because at the time you know we're focusing on so many people I mean we have literally 50 or 100 names that we have that are going through right. and we have in our databases and, and it wasn't something that was popping up So the response was, I have very little detail. I was speaking to my mother this evening about the podcast. She asked if I recognized any names as a relative of mine was a suspect when the boys went missing. He lived in either Paris or Hannibal, Missouri at the time. I tried to look up any articles on Google, but didn't come up with anything. I was just curious if you've all uncovered anything with that name linked to this case at all. We came up with a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, and we're withholding the name of the person who contacted us, but uh, yeah. yeah, we we did come up with something. Now, here's the kicker, Frankie. That was just such so, and to let people know, we get a lot of messages. We appreciate when people contact us with ideas or, or you know, who knows what path it's going to lead us down. Mm-hmm. But we kind of didn't get a chance to really follow up on it very quickly in September, and we had a lot going on, so we didn't get a chance to follow up. Well, come to find out a month later in October of 2020, a different family member contacted us. Yep. So here's the first response uh, from that person. It says, hello, could you tell me when the last episode will air? My niece shared this information about this impossible involvement of my Uncle Terry, which sent chills down my spine. I can remember seeing articles in my uncle's things after he was arrested in Monroe County and transferred to Texas. The articles were of the Lost Boys, and I wondered why he had them and if, I, if he was involved in it. Then you mentioned a Billy, uh, and I knew my uncle knew a Billy. However, the picture of the Lost Boy, Billy, is younger and didn't look like the older one that was in the family picture uh just says i'm new to the podcast and thanks for your help well frankie makes a response back can you, can you give us any information did he possibly have any aliases and um so this is a little bit longer but i think it's very important to i'm going to go ahead and read this whole section for you uh so actually frankie's response in this section was do you know when he was incarcerated in texas and the response was i believe it was around 2001 or 2003 i can't remember the exact year but i remember we were our excuse me, but I remember where I was working and before my stepfather passed away in 2004, he didn't have too much personal belongings because when he came back to Missouri out of the blue from Jacksonville, Florida area, but he was driving a Louisiana, a car with Louisiana plates. It made me feel like something was going on. When he left Missouri abruptly one day back in the nineties at First, no one knew anything, not even his father or my grandpa, that would be her grandpa. But he moved to Texas, lived with an elderly couple, I believe was friends of the family, if my memory is correct. They lived on Chevy Chase Boulevard. I am pretty sure on the that 
It is not being called street, but something like Boulevard or something behind Chevy Chase. I am sure the couple has long passed away by now. The two boys and their mom who came forward was living with my uncle, I believe, and they moved from Texas to Florida. The lady and my uncle were going to get married, and so the story goes. I met the mom and the two boys once and when they made a trip to Missouri to pick up the car that belongs to her ex. This lady reached out to me because she found a life insurance policy that listed me as a beneficiary. I was quite shocked, but this never I never had the chance to ask my uncle why or when he decided to choose me instead of his sister or two brothers that were still alive at the time. My uncle was close to my mom and then also states that um, my mom was one was the one that went to his place to get whatever belonged that he had back in the 90s when he left. When he came back in the 2000s, he stayed with my mom, but it wasn't very long, though, because that was when he was arrested at her property. After his arrest, more boys in the family spoke up about my uncle. I also made a call to San Antonio police back when he was arrested to give them his whereabouts because my sister told me the local moose club had a bolo out looking for him. I'm not sure what that reference is. I don't. Are you familiar with that, Frankie? I'm not familiar with the moose, and maybe yeah. one of our listeners is a moose. I've always wanted to be a, a moose, though. I've always wanted to join that club, so there you I'm go. glad that so, they do stuff like that. There you go. So uh, Frankie wants to be a moose club member. Uh, <laughs> this has filled me That's up with That's the takeaway so many- here, Gross. That's the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> this has filled me up with so many mixed emotions. Uh, then later on that month, we, we really didn't mention much more about it, uh, but however... She does go on later on that month, says, hello, listen to your podcast, and jogs some more memories. He got into my, some kind of trouble when he was a Cub Master or with the Boy Scouts. Terry lived in Paris, Missouri around the last 70s till mid-80s and had a boy that lived with him for a number of years, was also a host for an exchange student at one time from Spain. He worked for the ambulance district, mid-80s, lived in Moberly, went to LPN school and became a nurse. Then he moved back to Paris, Missouri until the mid-90s and left all of a sudden, not telling anyone for a long time he went to san antonio texas he came back to missouri in 2001 to 2003 and from what we know he was sent back to texas because of the charges of were more recent than the allegations in monroe county he was given a 15-year sentence as we mentioned without the possibility of parole and this came from the mother of the two boys uh so that's uh some of the other things here it mentions it says uh did my uncle know the two boys that were from the local church she she got into the question and this person was wondering if it was possible that maybe there were some church connections or maybe even some boy scout connections with uh terry hill and possibly with our our lost boys we do know from denise that we do not believe that either of the hogue boys were in the boy scouts at that time so uh we that's something we've kind of have pushed out, but something to keep in mind. Also, Frankie asked a little bit later on about possible aliases. She didn't know about any aliases, but she did say that I know the church he attended when he lived in Moberly would have been the Carpenter Street Baptist Church. That is where his family went to, his parents, my grandparents, his aunts, and uh, they were all very involved with the church. He was a deacon. Uh, his uh, The mother was a Sunday school teacher, and they were so they were very involved. My uncle and I feel... My uncle, I feel, has under the radar of his crimes because of his titles and lack of a lot of close friends. I do not know that he has affected two, or he, excuse me, she does know that they've affected two generations of families within their family. So it's crazy. And then finally here, I just want to mention, Frankie said that he asked about when the first molestation in the family occurred, and her response was the late 60s. She also says, however, that he also molested in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and at least two boys in the early 2000s. 
Uh, the first that I know of is late 70s, early 80s. That person is now 54 or 55 years old. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of an overview of the messages we received from family members of Terry Hill. And uh, I guess if you, there's a lot to take and dissect from that, Frankie, but I think the biggest one is that the first allegations of molestation came all the way back in the late 60s. Yeah. I mean, once again, it explains, you know, if I'm going to be a scoutmaster and I don't have children, because it doesn't say anywhere, or she doesn't allude to the fact if she had, if he had any kids, right? That's yeah. something that we don't see um, in this and as a whole. We've had Jackie looking into that, and I, I've asked him a few times, have you come across any any kids? And, and he even said that in Nancy's obituary, there was no reference to kids with Terry Hill. So that's good. I mean, you know, I mean, you have the Gacy thing, right? He has two kids that, you know, <laughs> He never saw after his indictment in sodomy in '68. So, the the problem with Tommy Terrence Hill, however, it, it goes back to Dr. Brian Haloida. Dr. Brian Haloida did state in our interview, and if you haven't listened to that episode, maybe you should, or refresh your memory. Not all the time do 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 child molesters kill, right? It's a totally different mechanism, right? So. Once again, we have to be careful, but at the same time, the reason why we're coming out with Tommy Terrence Hill is, and we understand, I understand uh, more than a lot of people. I've come out about, you know, my, um, my history with uh, molestation. Um, I actually have good friends that I consider brothers, and we were part of um, some nefarious things that happened to us, and I understand how hard it is to talk about them. I do. But I am a person that you could talk to him about because I've been in therapy, you know, and I've been through those things. And I don't usually do that publicly. But that's the lengths I'm willing to go to to solve this. And I think maybe, Chris, that's where my passion for true crime comes from, is that I, I see what could have happened to me. I was in the same mall Adam Walsh was in. I got lost in that same mall when I was a kid. So there are things that still haunt me and haunt my memories. But if there are people out there that do remember Tom and Terry Hill, we're trying to build a character profile. Is this person, we already know he's, you know, pretty much a, a, a dehumanizing figure within our realm. But is he a person that could do something so nefarious as actually murder someone? Is there a character profile there that we can look out to? Did did a kid get away? Did a kid escape? You know, were you one of them? Would you feel um, obligated or do you feel that you would share your story if we kept you completely anonymous just to give us clues into it? And you don't need to be part of that documentary. What you need to be part of is that that law enforcement wants to take it to the next level. You see, in the state of Texas, I cannot access any of his files under Section 522. Um, for me, it's a ridiculous law. I believe if you're incarcerated, especially for conditions like this, and there are open cases of molestation where you might have been a part of them, I believe we should have access to them. But unfortunately, we do not. It is an actual Texas state law that protects criminals, which is crazy <laughs> that it comes out right. of Texas. Um, so I don't have anything, his visitor list, who came to see him in those years. We know he did die in prison. We don't know how he died in prison. Um, we assume that it was a heart attack. 
or something like that, but it was 2013. And, you know, even reaching out to that family member where he was convicted, and that's a brave woman right there. It's a brave person that comes out and puts this sicko away, right? Um, At the same time, are there clues left unsaid within the Hannibal area? Was he a teacher at Hannibal LaGrange? Did he do other things? Was he, you know, those are the things we need to know, and we can only find that out through people that knew him. Well, here's the thing, too, especially you, we talked about that we know that he was involved with the Trinity uh, Club uh, Cub Scout group in Hannibal during his time at HLG. But we're curious, too, even if we can put him in the Hannibal area before the boys, uh, before the search efforts happen. So let's say, and one of the things I'm really curious about, uh, we've had a couple of people mention to me, but I've never gotten a solid answer. I'll put this on the discussion group to see if we get any responses. But if you have any answers to this, go ahead and send us a message. We know there was a Boy Scout camp close to the south side of Hannibal. We are curious to see where exactly that's at first. Secondly, is it possible that there was some sort of Boy Scout event going on during that time period that maybe you had somebody like a Terrence Hill that was already there during that time and maybe it was a prime, it was one of those, again, as we mentioned multiple times, an opportunistic situation for a person like this where he saw three boys and was able to do it. Uh, So those are some of the questions that I really want to find out and if you have answers to those, let me know. But uh, Frankie, a couple last little pieces. You mentioned we're still trying to get the Department of Corrections paperwork. Uh, We're also working on the Troop 19 uh, information to see if we can uh, reach out to any of those people. And um, one of the things I'm going to go back on, though, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, is about I I wondered, now we're in speculation mode, as you've mentioned, you've said before. Yeah, sure. I, I wonder if he may, I see this as a situation that in the 67 time period, he was experimenting in what he wanted to do. Is it could it be possible? And this would be a great question for Dr. Holoida. Would it be possible that a person that maybe started thinking that he was gonna try murdering kids that he molested, and then maybe he found out he didn't like doing that, and so then he just did molestations and didn't do the murders? And maybe do you have a situation where you have somebody that tries that and doesn't like it, so they stop doing the murder part? And it still always comes back to with, with, with a bunch of our listeners now. And there's just so many to count, too many to count now, which is amazing. And awesome. We can't thank you enough for that. Uh, we didn't do our usual show intro because we had a lot to say about Relentless. But what I will conclude, too, is that like when, when we look at it, when me and Chris look at it, too, we can't always assume, too, that this is it. I mean, this is a guy, right? So we can't look at it that way. But, you know, it, it, it is interesting when you look at the premeditation of certain acts of people that that think this way. So that is one of the the main reasons why um, I did actually reach out to Troop 19, the newest ones, and they responded immediately. And they're putting me in charge of the archivist who actually has all of this documentation. So we will have rosters. um, And from when he was a scoutmaster who was under that watch, and it would be interesting to see the names on those lists. I will add one other thing real quick before we wrap up here, and that has to do with the, you brought this up before, Frankie, is that when you have somebody that commits a crime, they always want to see what's happening. They always want to be prevalent in what's happening. And that's, I think that, that rings a huge bell for me when 
who knows? Terry Hill could have called Hannibal and said, hey, I'm a tracker. Would you like my services? He could have put himself in that situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't see anything that says that. Most of it says that, you know, a tracker was brought in. It doesn't know how the situation of how that tracker was brought in. Did he place himself in the situation? And I've even had somebody said to me before, is it possible he was pushing them away from where they might have actually been and he knew where they were but he was tracking them a different direction yeah and he could have given them clues because he does go to lover's leap so he could have given them clues um as to where he picked them up and then pushed them somewhere else he also kept all the clippings and this could be considered trophies Um, but it also could be considered vanity that he was in the newspaper and that he kept those clippings but yeah Sure. I would like to see if he kept his clippings of Thomas Bowden. So Thomas Bowden is a, a person that earned an Eagles scout, and he's in the newspaper giving him this award. And there's a master of ceremonies, of course. But Thomas Bowden was one of the scouts in Huntsville in Troop 19 that received the Eagle Scout under Thomas Terry Hill. I wonder if he kept that newspaper clipping because that was a pretty huge one. Had his had a picture of him, his mm-hmm. face in him. So if he has that one with the Hannibal one, then I can see, well, you know, I collect when I'm in the newspaper and I, you know, you have awards behind you that, that you know, have our show and recognition on them. So that's not a new thing. But once again, the fact that, you know, his family member reaches out to us and says when she was going through his things, she sees the Lost Boys of Hannibal. It was a big case. It was a national case. And I get it. But he had direct involvement in it, and that does raise an eyebrow, in my opinion. Frankie, it it wouldn't. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It wouldn't raise an eyebrow in normal situations. No, this is not a normal situation. The guy was charged with child molestation after right. the fact. It puts him in that scenario where it's not a normal situation. And it looks like he has multiple counts of child molestation through his mm-hmm. career, not only as a minister but as a but as a scoutmaster. So to uh, amazing organizations, the Baptist Faith, amazing organization, and the Boy Scouts of America, an amazing organization. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our faults. Um, but what does raise a huge eyebrow is the fact that on the next episode, we're going to reveal who Ray Ferrier is. So from all <laughs> of us here at the Lost Boys of Hannibal, I'm Frankie. And I'm Chris. We'll be seeing you. Yeah, I ain't going to take none of y'all.